You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Hello, it's good to be here. Um, I am thankful to be here and look forward to doing this lesson today. I, I just want to tell you, I actually started out thinking this was going to be one lesson that I was going to do today, but it looks like we're going to have to do it in two parts because it's pretty exciting and so much to learn, and, and I didn't want to try to rush it too much. So um, we are going to look in First Kings chapter 16. So you probably ought to get your Bible because it is a lot of reading, and I would like to keep it that way. So if we could grab our Bible, sit down, and um, also if you can kind of like pretend you've never, ever, ever, ever heard this story before, and you're hearing it for the first time, and you are trying to imagine what Elijah must have been feeling, what the situation must have been like, what the time was like, um, just try to put yourself in this story because there is so much to learn, I think, about um, being a, a Christian, being a leader, uh, being someone who is committed to doing anything that God asks them to do. And, you know, that is scary sometimes. It's scary to to be willing to do all that God asks, because there's so many times we don't understand. And so many times we're trying to figure out if God really asked that or if God is really with us. And so anyway, I just I want to put that out there because I, I want us to I know it's it's not usually the way we do it. We don't always read, 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 read. But I want to read these scriptures because there's so much in them. And There'll be some places I stop and pull things out, but there's going to be some things that you just see for yourself and, and apply to you and hit you. But um, let's start in 1 Kings, in chapter 16. <clears throat> and uh, this actually, in uh, verse 29, it's after just mentioning a bunch of kings that were over Israel. And in um, 1629, it says... In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Oh my gosh, that's intense that he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than the kings that were just mentioned before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple 
of Baal, and he built that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. So just stopping here for a second, this is not a foreign people. These are the people of God. This is Israel's king. You know, sometimes I think when we're reading in the Old Testament, we read about all of these other kings that did these other these evil things. It just feels like, yeah, that that was the time. But this is Israel's king who is doing this, who decides he's going to worship Baal. And in in um, chapter 21, it gives a little more insight uh, into this, it says in verse 25, it says, there was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites, the Lord drove out before Israel. Oh my gosh, it says that he sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And he was urged on by Jezebel, his wife. Okay, this is not so much about Jezebel, but I will say this is a powerful statement for anyone who's married. I mean, to think that she could urge him on to the point of worshiping another well, God, fake God, but God, and that he he would set up um, altars to this God and Asherah poles to this or to another God, that he is actually worshiping other other gods. He's sacrificing children. I I know that Robert, you know, Robert has gone to Israel and saw this big pit where they had had. They had found, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of skulls, baby skulls of children that were sacrificed to Baal. And, you know, this is what Ahab was about. This is who he was. This is the power couple in charge over Israel, God's people. This is the couple who's leading them who is reigning over them, who is determining their lives, who is who, who is scary, ruling over their, their land. Um, so here's the situation. It's bad. They have this horrible king. Um, and God, you know, calls Elijah. So here in... Um, in chapter in chapter 17 it says now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Galilee said to Ahab as the Lord the God of Israel lives whom I serve there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except by my word okay this is Elijah saying that there won't be any dew or rain on the land unless he says so. And it's amazing because Baal is the god of rain. So this is a direct challenge to Ahab and to Jezebel. 
and what they're doing in the land. And so this is the, this is what he says. He's going to stop, you know, there's not going to be any rain, any dew anywhere. And, um, it says after that, that it says, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. Okay, so God sends Elijah to give this this proclamation that's going to happen over the land. There's not going to be any rain. But then he says, okay, now you, let's go hide you. <laughs> let's go put you, um, you know, away in this little area to protect you from this king, this wicked, evil king. But I think it's amazing that he says, you will drink from the brook um, and that I will direct the ravens to supply you with food there. In verse 5, it says, so he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook which is pretty awesome that God supplied for him. But he has him hiding because this is an evil king. And in verse um, 7, it takes a little bit of a turn. So it's really all these stories are, are quite a lot, but we'll, we'll keep going. Um, sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath, to the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. It's kind of comical, really, um, that he's just telling this lady to do it. But God did say that he had directed a widow to supply him with food. So it's at one at first glance, it kind of feels like, what the heck? You know, Elijah taking bread from this widow. But God told him to do it and he told her to do it. So uh, he asks her and um uh, in verse 12, she says, as surely as the Lord, your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elisha said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. 
For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord, Elijah spoke. Sometime, okay, so hold on just a second. So I I really am curious, like, did, you know, I just, you're looking at this jar, and it just always has flour in it. And this jug, and it always has oil in it. It doesn't run out. It just keeps supplying. And to me, that is so much like God, to ask us to give our last but he keeps supplying more. He keeps giving us more. He keeps giving us the impossible. He gives, keeps supplying what we can't even imagine happening. So in verse 17, it says, Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy there three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him, gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of God that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Okay, so um, this this is another miracle. Okay, so we got the flour and we got the rain, we got the flour, we got the oil, and now this little boy dies and he brings him, you know, he calls on the Lord and the Lord brings him back to life. Um, and then she... She says, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth, which, gosh, I wish we were people who could see one miracle and believe. Why why can't we see one miracle and believe? Why does it take so many miracles to believe? But, you know, I think God is is he's abundant with with miracles. So he just keeps giving them. Um, You know, I think that, you know, Elijah is in this. Remember, he's still still in hiding. He was in that little ravine, and then God brought him to this widow's house. So he's still here. He's still um, waiting for a sign from God. He's still waiting for God to tell him what to do. So in chapter 18, it says, after a long time, which I don't know how long that was. Um, In the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab. And I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. 
Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Um, It says, Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land um, they, uh, they were to cover and Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah going in another. So, okay, so Elijah has caused some trouble for Ahab the king. I mean, basically, he's out searching for some green grass for the animals so they won't die, so they won't have to kill him. Um, so he's living in this drought. He's living in this this suffering. Um, but here it is in verse 7. It says, Obadiah was walking along. Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground and said, Is it really you, my lord, Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master Elijah is here. What have I done wrong? <laughs> Everybody's asking him, what have I done wrong? Ask Obadiah, uh, asked Obadiah that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death. As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And wherever, whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here? I don't know where the Spirit of the Lord will may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet, I, your servant, he's collecting himself now. Yet, I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't I, haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in a cave, in two caves, fifty in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. He will kill me. So he is in the middle of a struggle himself. Like he's being called by God's prophet to do something, to go back to um, Ahab and tell him Elijah's here. But he knows how badly Ahab wants Elijah. And so he's afraid that if he leaves, the Holy Spirit will take him away and they'll go back to that place and Elijah's not going to be there and then he'll lose his life. So you see him struggling that he's saying, I will do my mass. I will do the Lord's will. I've been doing this since I was a kid and I saved all these prophets and I've done all these things. I will go, but I probably will die. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I'm laughing only because it sounds so much like what we go through. Um, we'll do, we'll do God's will. We'll do God's will. But oh my gosh, it's going to be terrifying. It's going to be scary. Um, 
And then, um, so here in verse uh, 15, it says, Elijah said, as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. So he's not planning on being swept away, but he's telling, he's probably trying to calm him down. Um, But anyway, so in verse 16, somehow he collects himself back up and he, uh, it says, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? gosh. He is not happy. He just came from wandering the land looking for green grass. And Elijah is the one who called this drought. And he's calling him a troubler of Israel, that he's he's causing trouble for all the people is what he makes it sound like. But really, he's causing trouble for him. But listen to this and the the, you know, how Elijah musters himself up and what he says to him. He says, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 450 prophets uh, prophets of uh, 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is your God, follow him. But if Baal is your God, Follow him. But the people said nothing. The people are beaten. These are God's people. These are people who should who should be saying, we follow the Lord. We are with you, Elijah. We're here. They are beaten down. It says they said nothing. So then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but no but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of the Lord Uh, your Lord, uh, your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Like, hey, I'm getting some hope here. (laughs) What you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. 
and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. Perhaps he is in deep thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response, no answer. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars of water and pour it on the offering and the wood. So he is drenching the wood, the offering, with water. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. And that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God. And that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and called, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them there. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go Eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servants. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, A cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, Go and tell Ahab, Hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. 
Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, the heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel, which that's kind of comical. I'm not really sure why um, that's in there, but it kind of gives me that like, whew, you know, tuck in my my cloak here. And I just imagine his sandals, you know, flopping through the sand as he goes. But, um, you know, here there's so many miracles happening. So many amazing things happening. But so much decision to show up. Like so much um, deciding whether people will believe or not. And, you know, I was just thinking how this is the Christian life. This is the way it is. And it doesn't always... It doesn't always feel like um, everything is easy. Like even when things are great, things are awesome, there's still deciding places in our hearts to show up, to be seen, to be heard, to be there, to comfort, to love, to serve, whatever it is. And God is with us. You know, one thing I... um have realized uh, we have these classes, these forming classes on Sunday. And one thing I realized through these classes is that I don't always believe God is with me. I believe God is great. I believe God is loving. I know he loves me. I know he takes care of me. I know he's given me everything I have. But I have kind of thought of God as Okay, definitely all-powerful, taking care of the universe, taking care of peoples everywhere in every country for generations. I think of him as being the one who knows every little cell and every living thing that he created and put them all together. But sometimes I think I subconsciously feel like God is so great and God is so awesome that he has a lot to do, that he's busy doing something somewhere else. And he gave me these little tasks to do, and I should muster up my courage to do them. And if I need help, I can call out to him and he'll come. If I need help, he'll be right there. But that's not really the way it is. God is always with us. If we have the Holy Spirit in us, which you receive in baptism, he is with us. And I think that, you know, I started noticing, I heard my prayers that, you know, asking God to please be with us, to please be with me. And I realized I need to stop saying that. I need to stop asking God to be with me because he's always with me. There's so many promises about that. But when you get in the works of life and you have to face these scary situations and scary people and um, consequences or, you know, decisions that need to be made, we have to remember again, God is with us. And just because we're struggling, you know, like Obadiah, I think that's kind of comical even 
tries to tell, you know, Elijah, look, I did all these things. I saved these hundred prophets. Um, you know, I think we have to sometimes remind ourselves that God is with us. But bottom line, I think from God's perspective, okay, this is the way we see it. All this, all this stuff, right? The way God sees it is he just asks us to show up. He just asks us to open our mouth, to say something, to be somewhere, to do something. Um, and really, all we have to do is that. We don't have to put so much stress and so much energy into all the worry and all the what ifs and what if and, you know, how about and, you know, what will happen to me? We spend too much energy worrying. That's what I'm realizing about myself. I am not going to be the Grim Reaper anymore. <laughs> I am going to believe better. I'm going to believe God is with me. And that's not to say I'm not going to have my days of having to talk myself into it. But God is with us and he's good. And, you know, when I see all these things that Elijah went through, um, you know, it, if you just read it really fast, you might not catch how hard this had to have been. To have been waiting by himself in a ravine. To be waiting with a widow, feeling like he's mooching off her. <laughs> I mean, I, that wasn't really the situation. But, you know, if he's looking at it from a humanistic point of view, he could think that. There's, there's so many places here where we have to call ourselves back to God is with me. He is asking me simply to show up. So I want to stop here and then we'll go into the second part of this on the next one. So um, I hope this has been great for you and it sure has been great for my heart. So love you and see you next time. You've just listened to the Metro LA podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com 